Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. Galatians in the next couple of days, and and we're going to catch up with an argument that he's having throughout the book to deal with them. Yes. Um, And here's the the question that we're going to kind of wrestle with. Is faith in Jesus enough? Uh, and this question is worth wrestling with. Uh, it, it isn't in our culture. Uh, we don't like the idea that we get something without paying for it. We like the idea of getting things, but we don't really uh, live in this idea that you just expect things to be dropped at your door. If you ordered something from Amazon, you're expecting that you paid for that item from Amazon. If you are driving a car, you paid for that car. There's just in our culture, if we have something, we've participated in paying for it. I'm not a very good gift uh, receiver. That does not mean that I don't like getting things. I just feel guilty when I get them. So if you ever give me something and I feel like, just like I don't know what to do with my hands or like whatever, it's because... Like there's this part of me that's like, okay, now I owe you something and I want to I want to give you like, oh, here's a dollar for this gift that you just gave me. And now we're great. Um, But we have that mentality. And I think that mentality moves into our relationship with Jesus. Um, Christianity is different than every other religion because it's a God that became personal to us that put on flesh for us, that did the work for us to give us a free gift. Uh, And that free gift is received by us through faith, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. And I think it's complicated, and it complicates my same issue with getting free things from people, someone giving me a gift even when it's my birthday, which is not my birthday. Don't give me a gift. Um, But it's the same thing with God. Like, I feel like, okay, I know intellectually that I'm saved by grace through faith alone, but I live at times going, I owe God something, so I must do something so that we're even. And it's a dangerous lie that we fall into because, and here's the lie that we're going to deal with today, is that you can do something for God that will make his sacrifice for you partly, you know, to the extent that he owes you something. Partly where he, okay, I know it's, he did something greater than we could ever pay him back, but I want to give him something. It's like throwing him pennies in his face for this great expensive gift that he's given us. And so Galatians is going to fall right into this argument that we're going to try to unpack. And there's so much stuff like in the section that I'm going to cover. We're going to be in Galatians 2. I'm going to start in verse 15. And we're going to go through 3, 6. Um, but there's, there's so much more. So I'm going to try to unpack a little bit. So if you don't even know what Galatians is, um, you never heard of it before, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of understanding so we see the argument and then be able to deal with it through the text that we're going to cover today. But before we get into the word, let's pray. God, your word is powerful. 
Your word is truth, um, and we need to hear your word today. We need to receive it in our hearts because we will ruin the gift that you're trying to give us by trying to repay you for something you've freely given. Lord, help us understand what it means to operate in a life of faith, trusting in the finished work of the cross, and use your word to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Galatians um, was written to a city that is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Galatians was most likely one of the first New Testament books that was written, and most likely written about 50 A.D., which is not that important, other than you understand that it was very early on. This isn't like decades later. This is just a few years. Jesus died around 33, so within 15 years, you're having things that are going on inside the church that Paul, by writing this letter, is trying to deal with. And this church is filled with both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles, non-Jews. And Paul wrote this letter to combat the idea that the Gentiles have to live like like Jews, living under the Mosaic law, to be saved. An issue that is dealt with in the Council of Nicaea in Acts 15. You should read about that. See, what happened is after... Um, The stoning of Stephen, the church expanded out into the outlying areas, into modern-day Turkey. And people were receiving the grace of God, were um, giving their life. Jews and Gentiles were giving their life to Jesus, trusting in him. And they were experiencing powerful works of God in their midst. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. And what happened is people... Jews, Judaizers, people that were legalistic Jews, came into the area and seized their freedom and was like, oh no, if, if you want Jesus and you want salvation, you must obey the Mosaic law and you must be circumcised. You, you must do these things like we've done for generations. And there was this great tension about what's the truth, and that's what they settled in the Council of Nicaea, or not Nicaea, sorry, the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. And so Paul starts off Galatians saying that there is no other gospel. If you hear another gospel, if another gospel is preached to you other than this one, it is false. Even if it is me, even if tomorrow I come and preach a different gospel, reject me, trust the gospel, trust the good news. And then Paul gives his credentials. He tells them why they should trust him, why they should listen to him. And then Paul has an argument. (laughs) See, churches have been having internal (laughs) conflict from the beginning. Paul has an argument with Peter. Peter, uh, one of Jesus's core people, one of his three who preached a phenomenal sermon, got 3,000 people saved. And, and over the next 15 years, he's been participating in the church, leading the church. And he has been freed from the burden of obeying the law, specifically dietary restrictions. And so he's in um, this city eating with Gentiles, non-Jews, eating like they're eating, and had no issue with it until the Judaizers come in, until the people that, 
you know, are like, oh, no, you didn't. Why are you doing that? And so Peter pulls back and isolates himself from part of the church because of an outside source saying, oh, you must continue to do this. And Paul, (laughs) Paul did not like that. Paul did not like that so much that he openly rebuked Peter, one of the founding fathers of our modern church, because Peter was wrong. And what we're going to jump in today is Paul is going to try to clarify the true gospel. And I I know as I was wrestling through this, as I was talking through this, not many people in this room are going like, man, I'm obeying the law. I got to obey the law to have Jesus. I've got to do all these things. Not many people in this room are even thinking about the law. You, You may be as far from the law as possible being like, I just want Jesus, but I don't want to do anything else other than want Jesus and want heaven and And there's this tension between, you know, this legalistic side and this freedom side of just doing whatever. And I I think both of them are wrong. There there is not a measure of things that you can do to justify yourself, make yourself right before God. And there is not an allowance for us to do absolutely anything that we want to do. That's what's wrong, I think, with most of the churches today, or church in general today, specifically American churches, is we, we've, we've swung, we've been afraid of this legalistic side, so we've swung over to the free side of you just do whatever you want. Everything is free, everything is good, and that's not true. It's not true at all. It actually will destroy you. And so part of what I want to cover today isn't that God wants to say, do whatever you want. He wants to say, trust me and listen to me. Because he, he sums up all the Mosaic law, all the law into these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those things, you won't earn yourself a position in heaven. But if you do those things, you will show that the law is good. Because all those things, if we do them, will get us to the same place. Not of earning our place with Jesus, but showing the world what Jesus has done in us. So we're going to pick this up in chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth. So he's speaking as a Jew to um, the church, some of them being Jews, some of them being Gentiles. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, which seems kind of like That'd be like if I just picked on where you're from. Like, we're all good people except those people that lived in, I'm not going to name a city because then you'll judge me. I'm just, for example, you're like, oh, you're not. We're not from that part of the country. It would be like saying, like, just you being that makes you a horrible person. And that's not what he's saying. I'm going to try to explain that to the best of my ability. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. And what he's trying to say is that it is not the works of the law or being a Jew that earned us our righteousness, that earned us our justification, that saved our souls. And he's saying that even though we are God's chosen people, separated, isolated, set apart for God, that did not give us salvation. That did not give us righteousness. 
So he's basically saying, and he's going to say this later on, uh, I think in chapter 5 or the end of 4, he said there's no longer Jew or Greek, Gentile. He's, he's making them one people. So he, you know, the, the Jews that have obeyed and have done the right thing, they're like all these, yes, those sinners, missing the point that they too are also sinners because it is faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It didn't work before. It isn't going to work now. And like I said, some of you are going to be like, well, you know, like I'm not really even doing those things. And I'm going to talk about this idea that sometimes we will make laws out of things hoping to earn our love from God, become his beloved instead of just being his beloved. We will unknowingly do things like attend church, like give to the church, like serve in the church, thinking I'm doing the thing on my end, on my terms, so that God will have to do something for me. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Meaning, they could not fix themselves through the law. They could not rectify the issue that they had, the separation they had, even in their obedience to the law. That they too were found sinners. So it says, is Christ then the servant of sin? Certainly not. So we too, meaning the Jews, God's chosen people, looking to the law or the law plus to make them righteous, to make them get them saved did that because it failed produce Jesus then being the servant of sin. It was like, well, so did did he give us this thing that is unable to save us? Which we're going to talk about here just in a second. See, this was Jesus leading, was Jesus leading people away from the law as their savior and calling them to faith and trust in him was not, this was not what was happening. And we're going to, I'm going to skip forward into chapter 3, verse 23, just for clarification. Verse 23, it says, Now, before faith came, before Jesus came, before the cross, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It was our guardrails trying to lead us to life with Christ. In order that we might be justified, not by the works of the law, but justified by faith. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, Jesus has done the work of the cross, we are no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 18. It says, For if I rebuild... What I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. And, and, and what I think he's saying right here is like, so, okay, yes, it was Christ that we are saved by, having faith in him, absolutely. And we've just acknowledged by everything that he's just said that the law did not work to make us justified, to make us righteous. But now, after receiving 
Christ, Jesus, in faith, if we try to reestablish a law to then make us better, we're building again uh, something that didn't work. We, we prove ourselves to be a transgressor because we want to go back to. And I want to just say, not everyone in here, because some of us, uh, by the grace of God, have been freed from this, but a lot of people in this room are probably slave to this idea that you're trying to rebuild something that puts you in control, that puts you in a position of saying, God owes me. Some of us right now are angry and bitter at God because he has not done what you wanted him to do because you think he owes you, and he does not. Partly, you think he owes you what you want, which may not be any good for you. There have been many things in my life that I really wanted that I've gotten, and then I've realized that they were not good for me. Some of God's greatest gifts. <laughs> Unanswered prayers. I just cannot help it. I cannot. Every time. They are, but we want. And see, God knows and loves us so much that His eternal mission for us is that we would know Him fully. And he will use whatever means and methods to bring that to be. Even if that means that if you begin to trust in some outward action to then make you acceptable to him, which he will not accept. We don't, we don't do that. He, he says this all throughout the Old Testament. He's, it's not, I do not desire sacrifice. He desires obedience. He wants our hearts. See, we want to do, like, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I want the ten steps to be loved by God. I want to read the book. I don't know how many books that I've looked through, and I'm looking for the pattern. That If I do this pattern, everything's going to be perfect, and God will do everything that I want. God is not your tool. You are His. And, oh, trusting in a law to set you free is really, in my opinion, trusting in you to set you free. Because it is to your obedience. It deals with this in Ezekiel where it talks about that he'll, in the future, this is what he's done through faith, he'll remove the heart of stone, which was unable to follow him. He'll put a heart of flesh in us so that we can obey. Obedience doesn't happen just because we want it to. Obedience happens because we acknowledge that he is worth being obedient to. Verse 19. For, though, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. So how do we die to the law? We'll look to verse 20 for that, which I highly recommend if you're a person that desires to memorize verses. If you've not memorized Galatians um, 220, you should. You should put it on your, you know, your cards or whatever. It should be in your brain because you need this. So how do we die to the law? And, and Paul's going to say, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So how do you die to the law? 
How do you die to this desire to have your flesh rescue and redeem you? We, we, we are crucified with Christ. We realize that the only way to life is picking up our cross and following him. So how do we live this out? Because that's the hard part. The, the easy part is going, yes, this is what we need. The hardest part of the Christian life is literally walking it out. So how, how do we do this? We pick up our cross and we follow knowing that Christ is in me. Knowing, if I could stop here for just a minute and just convince everyone sitting in this room that in spite of everything that you've ever done, in spite of your inability to be the person that you think you should be, Christ still died for you. And he still loves you enough to desire relationship with you. And even though you've repeatedly failed over and over again, he's waiting for a heart that trusts his love. He's waiting for a heart that's willing to say, God, I cannot, I cannot. Because there is life that is going to be continued in the flesh. And then we have to choose to live our life in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me. So why would we sacrificially, and and I'm going to just say this, and I want to say this enough that our church will realize it. Um, If you're hoping for a Christianity that gives you an easy, comfortable, pocket, bank filled life, you're looking at the wrong place. Because that's not his promise. His promise is an eternity with him. His promise is a kingdom that is greater than the things that you desire to have, the possessions that you ache for. That's the tension that we have to live with, that we have to understand that Every day we have to acknowledge and invite Jesus into our life. We don't, we don't just pray this prayer. We don't just memorize verse 20 and say, Oh, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That isn't a one-time thing that you just say. That is something you live every day. You wake up in the morning. It is not my life. And the life that I now have, the life that I now get to lead, is His living inside of me. And as Romans 8 says, the same power that lives in us rose Christ from the dead. That's the power. See, if we would stop trying to overcome the challenges that we have by our work and our effort and surrender to Jesus, trust in Him, and then out of that trust and out of that Beloved child heart, step in faith into the things that he's going to call us into. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If the law worked, Jesus didn't have to die. And so by the mere fact that Jesus did die was the reality that the law didn't work. We need Him and His sacrifice. We need His heart in us. Now we're into chapter 3, verse 1. 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Some of them actually potentially witnessed it, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were not just aware of it by knowledge, by preaching. And others, not only if they didn't see that, then they saw the power of God move throughout their congregation. They knew because they saw. And I think this gives us hope because if, if you live in this world, there's this tension of like, I want to trust, I want to believe, and I want to believe the right things. I think probably the most anxiety that I have about anything is that I would be wrong about something that's right about God. That I, that I would be wrong, that I, I, would, I would even proclaim here from the front something that isn't right. Like we talked about in James, like there's a fear of this double this extra judgment for those who preach and teach the word. But see, people came in with well-sounding words and bewitched a people into believing something that wasn't true when Jesus was preached originally and still isn't true now. Verse 2, it says, let me ask you, let me ask you only this. Did you receive this spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's like when the spirit came, did it come because you were obedient to the law, the work of the law? The spirit that you received and produced works by God, was that from the law? No, it was by faith in Jesus. Here's another one. This set on my um, computer screen um, for about... Six months, and finally the sticky fell off. Uh, I need to put it up there again. Because this is a word I feel like God speaks to my heart all the time. Verse 3, it says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, many of us in this room, if you know Jesus and you had an encounter with the living God, that began by the Spirit. It began by something. It didn't begin because you were all of a sudden desiring to be obedient to the law. It began because God sparked something in you. And the danger with people that had a spark of the Holy Spirit is that we would, we would go, oh, that's great, and I'm glad He did that, but then we would start doing our own thing to then prove that we are who we are. Some of the most dangerous things that we can do as a church here sitting in this room is pretend that we're good. That we would present our external to look like the Christian that we want to be instead of allowing God to deal with our inside and let our external match what's going on on the inside. Many, and this is not judgment, many of us in this room are hiding behind a a well-manicured exterior that everybody around you is looking, man, man, they love Jesus. They're for the kingdom. They're pressing it on. And, and you know that you, you're, you're doing this great work on the outside, but you've neglected the inside. We don't want that. Because you cannot fix what's going on inside of you. Verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain? See, these 
Christians were persecuted because of their faith. They suffered for Jesus. If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirits to you and works of miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing and faith? Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he goes on to talk about this reality that even before the Mosaic law, the promise was there for Abraham because of faith. I think that's the beauty of the New and Old Testament. I think sometimes we look at the two and we think they're, they're, they're different they're, they're separated, you know, like this is one thing and this is another. They are the same story that's been told from the beginning. And the same solution to the story has been there from the beginning. Since Genesis 3.15, it was proclaimed that I would, I would um, cause a tension between Satan's offspring and God's offspring. And they would clash. This was, this was the story from the beginning. From the beginning of the people of Israel, from the beginning of the Jews, from... Abraham, their father, it was established by faith. So here's a couple questions for you, and then we're going to wrap up. Why does this matter? Like, why, do, why are we even having this conversation? Because most of us aren't in here thinking, man, and I'm just going to say a word, because this was the argument. Have you been circumcised? I was like, is this a this is a weird thing that you would walk around because it's not like a public like I wear a a necklace that says circumcised. But this was the argument is that the Gentiles weren't being so. so did you, did you could you imagine we had greeters up front being like circumcised? <laughs> circumcised? Sir, sir? Nope, nope. You got to come back, come back later. No. But that was the argument. Why, did, why does it matter? It matters because just like them, there's not an external thing that you can do to get accepted, to be loved by God. Our, the gospel of good news is that Jesus did what we could not. He fulfilled the law for us so that we could be his children, so that we could wear, have, be in His righteousness. And that does not come by works. It comes because of Him. You cannot fix you without surrendering by faith to the work of Jesus on the cross. And so here's another question for you. What are you trusting in? If you were to sit here right now and have a conversation with God, and God sat down in front of you and you knew it was God, there was no doubt, it wasn't a game, so there wasn't like we're going to try to deceive somebody, not a conversation like if I ask you this question. But if, if God came down right now, set before you, and I don't mean intellectually, because you might present the right word, but if God were to sit down in front of you and say, what are you trusting in? Could you with a pure heart say you and you alone? Or would there be pieces of you that would go, I have served this church. I moved here with reach, helped plant this church. I did set up team for I don't know how long. And my kid, he tells me, who's 19, uh, he tells me all the time, I did that for years. Years. I made him. He got up early. He came. But there's a piece of us that would go, I have always, 
I've gone to church. I have given money to church. I have I've even preached the gospel. I've done. We would put up in front of God when he says, what are you trusting in? We would put our works in front of him. And Isaiah, yeah, I don't think we've gotten there that far in the year Bible, but it talks about our, our, our greatest works of righteousness are but a polluted garment. Our, great, our greatest works of righteousness, our greatest works are trash to God. And if you come face to face with God and you present him trash thinking that this is what gets me your love, you're going to miss God. But if he sits before you and you say, what are you trusting in? And you say you and you mean it. In here. And you let that shape you. It it will radically transform your life. Most of the relationships that we have conflict with, we have conflict with because we're trusting in ourselves. Because we're honestly the God of our world. We don't say that, but we live like it. We demand other people bow down and worship to me and do what I want. Life lived in faith of Jesus surrenders to that. It surrenders to the mission that you think you're on. It surrenders to the reality that this isn't your world. You aren't the star of this play. You aren't even a main character. Or I'm not a main character. I'm just a piece in this story that God is weaving to his end, to his conclusion. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Fruitfulness is what comes out of a life lived for Jesus in surrender. And I encourage you, um, going into this week, if you're not already reading in the one-year Bible, just read through Galatians. It is a beautiful book that will clarify all the things that we've talked about today. But in in, in, um, chapter 5, verse 16, a little bit further on, it says, But I I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes in and he lists all these things. And just think of America as you read all the things, all the sins of the flesh. But, Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In step with the Spirit means it's something that you continually do. Jesus and our salvation doesn't rest on one encounter. It's a surrender to a life with Him. If you're hoping for the easy, like I can raise my hand, I can say a prayer, and I'm going to get into heaven, you're missing the point. We want you to get Jesus now because He'll change your life. I'm going to invite our our worship team back up. Hopefully you didn't sit on these. Uh, Hopefully at one point we'll have little places that we can put these that aren't on your seat where you sit down. Uh, But today we're going to take communion. If you're unfamiliar with communion, this is a representation of Christ, his body broken for us. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. They had no idea what he was doing, but he did something to remind them before they even know what he was reminding them of, of his sacrifice. And so this little wafer that's in the top of your 
pack is a representation of the body that was broken specifically for you. And this juice that's in this little cup is a representation of Christ's blood poured out for you, for the forgiveness of your sin. And so what better way to finish our message today, my message today, is by taking these, it doesn't fix you, it doesn't, uh, it, I mean, you can take these and it means nothing. Or you can take these with the open of acknowledgement that this is the life that was poured out for me. When when you take these, and I'm going to pray this before we close, when you take these, you're you're acknowledging that it's not by your works and it's not by your effort because you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to make these things, the things that they represent, happen. He did. And he did what you couldn't. And by taking communion together as a family, we're openly acknowledging that it is you in me. Because we're, we're consuming these. It's you in me that gives me the capacity to be what you desired. What you designed. And so I encourage you, as we don't just jump in. Like the music's going to start. We have a few minutes. Like don't just feel like, oh, I'm going to take it. Just sit for a second and just... Tell him how much this means for you. How much this means that you're his beloved in spite of you. In spite of your faults and failures, he did this for you. And here's the beauty of all this. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you don't trust in Jesus, you don't have to do anything right now you don't have to do years of works of service so that you can earn your position and place to be his beloved you can say today i trust you i trust that you did what you said you did on the cross for me and i trust that your people who recorded your word have the truth for us and this is the truth for me and so i'm going to pray for us worship's going to start take communion when you're ready Father, these are just things that we use to remind us of your sacrifice. Let it not be for nothing. Let not the familiarity of what communion is for people that have been in the church forever just forget the power and weight and the cost of these things that are in our hands right now. And I pray that they would weigh on us, not to burden us, but to free us that we would step out of this, I've got to perform and be and do, and I've got to earn into this, I trust you. So Lord, I pray as we take these elements today that you would set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we declare that in our flesh, in our lives. That you are King, and we are not. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.